Right about now, it needs some heroes. Right about now, we need something magical. And tell me about how we'll face the dying. What this world needs now is uniting. And it's just like that. So let's go co-create this cultural revolution. It's time for cultural magic. And welcome back, everybody. Here we are for another episode of cultural magic. You know, something that uh, we did touch on last season that we're going to talk more about today um, is the importance of shadow work. So often in spiritual communities, we're really talking about light and and love and all of these beautiful, joyful, radiant parts of awakening and spirituality. And it's not that those aren't relevant or real, but if we're not talking about the shadows, then we're ignoring half of the conversation, half of the reality. Um, And we're also kind of ungrounded in that exploration. So here on Cultural Magic, we're all about understanding what it is that we are co-creating so that we can truly create together a world that is one that allows us all to be our unique selves, that's unified within that diversity of spirit. And in order for us to truly have this, we got to address the shadows front and center. That's a super important part. So with all of that in mind, I'm really excited to have um, to this week's guest with us today, uh, Catherine Liggett, who is a shadow worker, teacher, and guide. She's an intuitive, um, really powerful presence here. And um, we're here today to talk about this whole business of shadows and shadow work. So thank you so much for being on the show with us today, Catherine. Thank you, Alicia. I'm so thrilled to be here. Yeah. (laughs) So um, for you, coming into this path of working with shadows, I know um, from, I've heard you speaking about this before, this is a path you've been on for a while. Um, Maybe even though before you recognized it as shadow work, I wonder if you can kind of speak to that experience at all for us, um, for people who are still just coming to understand what this shadows business is. Um, maybe you can help illuminate for them how this work came to you in your life, how it called to you so that they can see maybe how it's calling to them as well. Totally. So first of all, like when we talk about shadows, we're not talking about anything dark and evil and scary, we're simply talking about what we're not conscious of Mm. in our everyday lives. And oftentimes, because humans are afraid of the unknown, we are naturally kind of afraid of that which we Mm. don't see about ourselves. So, for example, the aspects of us that might drive our personality, but from an unconscious place. So like a Freudian slip might be like we do things that we might or we might have a outburst of anger or another emotion that be like, who am I? Like, that's not who I am. Right. It's a shadow aspect of us that that might um, be the reason that that's coming out. Some unconscious desire that we have or just an unconscious need that needs to be met. But we'd rather not think that we have that need. So basically the shadow is. Um, from Jungian psychology, so Carl Jung um, in the early and mid 20th centuries was exploring the idea of the unconscious and um, everything about human behavior that's extremely 
um, driving in our lives, but that we don't know consciously. Um, we see it in our dreams. We see it in the way that we judge other people mm. because everything that we judge about other people is actually a reflection of what we couldn't be as children. Mm. So if I'm judging someone who's really loud, it means that I wasn't allowed to be loud as a child. I wasn't allowed to express myself. So, But at the same time, part of me secretly longs to be that self-expressive and thus that person triggers me who is mm. so that's just those are a couple ways that we see the shadow in everyday life so when i was um, a teenager is really when i started to get fascinated by this notion that there are aspects of the human being that drive us and yet we're not conscious of mm. so i started reading psychology and philosophy and started getting really fascinated with the biggest questions in human existence like why are we here what is mind what um, motivates human behavior and especially um, that of the unconscious mind and so i was reading jung and um, like german philosophers like Kant and hegel with like theories of reality, metaphysics, stuff like that. Um, at the same time, I was this suburban, super high achieving, good girl, very sheltered, mm -hmm. who nevertheless had ultra violent nightmares. Mm. And so when I was 15, I kept having these like nightmares of like the goriest, most awful like corpse dreams, like mm. dismemberment, um, like, I won't go into all the details, but basically, like, the most awful, gory, violent nightmares you could imagine. And my mom was utterly mystified mm -hmm. <laughs> and scared for me. I personally wasn't disturbed by them. Because hmm. I guess I just came into this world being very comfortable with mm. um, imagery that other people might find scary, mm -hmm. you know. But, like, she, my mom... Um, who is very spiritual and very connected to um, depth psychology and the psychology of Carl Jung. Um, she knew about this Jungian dream analyst mm. close to us, and so she brought me to see this Jungian therapist mm. for my dreams. And um, I actually didn't get a lot out of the sessions <laughs> with, oh. this, with this Jungian analyst, but I started to hear words like shadow and you know mm. archetypes and stuff like that. Um, I guess that was kind of a seed that was planted mm. that didn't sprout until much later. But what I did intuitively feel called to do, which had nothing to do with my sessions with a therapist, was I knew for some reason that if I were, if I were to paint, because I did a lot of painting at the time, like if I were to paint these gory images from my dreams, mm. that that would help somehow. Like if I were to paint them in all of their gore and, and just totally lean in to mm -hmm. and get super immersed in these images basically like listen to them mm -hmm. you know and see them fully that that would be healing for me and sure enough that's what i did and then the dream stopped mm. so like even to, to this day i have these paintings in storage that are mm. just like awful looking right <laughs> they're just like who are you who is this like sociopath that, mm. that painted these you might think um but that was, they were aspects of me and they were aspects of the emotions that I had to repress my whole, you know, white suburban high achieving mm. life. Um, and that my family had repressed 
that were coming out in my dreams. So in other words, these were shadow aspects of myself that had to have a way out and they were showing up in my dreams. And so even when I was a teenager, I realized that if I leaned in, if I completely accepted these images as part of myself, as worthy of attention, as worthy of being heard and seen, um, that that is what heals them and that is what integrates them into myself. So in that way, I've been doing shadow work with myself since that early age, even though mm -hmm. I didn't call it that back then. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I really appreciate deeply that um, phrasing of lean in. Um, and so often um, we might be told to like lean into pain from like the mindfulness perspective, but this is even like a deeper kind of thing to like lean into that which like frightens us potentially, right? Like this, this violence, this gore, um, this something that is generally we're like, no, I don't want that. Right? Like that, that doesn't feel good. That's not what I want to experience. We resist mm -hmm. it, it persists, but leaning into that. And so that, that leads me to wonder about um, shadow work on this cultural level, on where we're at right now with these cultural waters. Like we have some really nasty shit culturally, right? Whether it be looking at um, rape culture or the patriarchy, white supremacy, like genocide like so much violence on so many levels and we have a lot of resistance to it we want it to stop we want it to end for all the reasons that make sense but what i'm hearing from this perspective and this uh, kind of paradigm that you're putting forth is the need to lean into it so what do you think can we lean into rape culture can we lean into white supremacy and what does that look like maybe on an individual and collective level yeah so one of the <clears throat> misconceptions about this idea of leaning in is that if we were to fully um embrace that something exists that it will get worse mm. or that like if someone like if a client says um I have anger issues, and so I just try not to be angry. Mm -hmm. Well, because Carl Jung said what we resist persists, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's simply a law of psychology. Like, when that person says that, I know that they're always going to be angry. Mm. Because um, when we're resisting something within ourselves, it's never going to be healed. It's never going to be heard, seen, listened to, and thus integrated into the personality. And where violence comes from is like violence, outbursts of emotion that harm others. These are all discharges of formerly repressed emotions mm -hmm. or impulses, mm -hmm. right? Um, a violent act doesn't just come out of nowhere, right? Just out of like simply awareness of a thing. So um, when we talk about like leaning into, um, let's take like white supremacy, um, <clears throat> that doesn't mean that you're going to go join like a, mm. a fascist group, <laughs> you know, it right. doesn't, doesn't, doesn't mean that you're going to go be, uh, practicing white supremacy consciously, but what's really magical about these times from the perspective of shadow work is that all of this shit is on the table now mm -hmm. that like, it was really destructive 
when nobody talked about it because it was allowed to control the outcome of events. Mm. In my former career, I was an instructor of German and German studies Mm. at Oregon State University, and I taught classes on the Holocaust Mm. and German dictatorships, both Mm -hmm. um, Hitler and East Germany. And um, at those times, what made it so acutely violent was that nobody was talking about it, right? Mm. Everybody was like, this is for the good of Germany. This is all good. Like, we're going to separate these people into good and not good. (laughs) And nobody talked about the pain that the people were going through, right? Nobody Mm. said, hey, Hitler, um, (laughs) don't you know that these people are suffering beyond any measure? And let's talk about this. Let's have, like, groups talking about how bad this is. Those didn't exist. They would have been killed off (laughs) if they did exist. You know, so the amazing thing about this time is that even though we have so much violence going on, it is being talked about Mm. openly. So So that is shadow work in and of itself. Absolutely. Simply, like, choosing to see and hear and talk about it. And something like white supremacy is circling back to that, that um, white supremacy exists everywhere, right? It's Mm -hmm. systemic. It's part of the the fabric of uh, our culture today. And the less we talk about it, the more power it has. Mm. So the the less we acknowledge it. So if somebody says, I'm not a racist and I don't even want to consider the idea that I'm racist. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, they're going to persist in their own patterns that are racist mm-hmm. unconsciously, you know. So it's by leaning in, by choosing to say, well, what if I were to lean in and consider this possibility that my behaviors might be racist or that I might have implicit bias now we can change something Mm. (laughs) so leaning in and acknowledging and embracing the reality of this thing that we might not want to embrace Mm. actually is exactly and only the thing that will ever create change right so what i hear you saying is not only is it an embracing of the concept or the paradigm that it exists, right? Like, as a white person, I could acknowledge right, white, right, white supremacy has been a thing um, that exists still, mm-hmm. but it's also acknowledging that as a white person, this impacts me, and there's no way that it can't impact me. And, and how is this a yeah. part then of and that you participate in? It. Right, how I've grown up, the different ways that um, I'm given privilege, so forth. So really this acknowledgement, um, this leaning in is like this acceptance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and acceptance doesn't mean, yay, white supremacy. Right. <laughs> it simply means that, yes, I accept that this is part of me. In the same way that you would say, yes, I accept that I have cancer or I have depression. It's mm-hmm. that acknowledgement that this is a reality and that it has a personal implication. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were talking about what uh, we resist persists and that perspective from young. And we know, too, from um, neurology and neuroscience, right, that that has a very real physical aspect as well. And I wonder what you think about, like, on an energetic or, like, spiritual dimension, um, what it does for us to resist a shadow versus to lean into it um, and to really accept it. From an energetic or a spiritual dimension? Yeah, like, is there anything special about how you would describe it or um, understand what's happening on that level? Mm-hmm. Um, from an energetic perspective, like, as an energy worker myself, um, 
a Reiki master and just a someone who sees energy in the body and specifically like emotional blockage in the body mm. so most of our shadows are emotional mm. blocks like most of our shadows have to do with emotions that were not validated when we were little right mm. emotions that were upsetting to our parents or inappropriate or um anger for is a big one especially for people socialize as women mm -hmm. um so a lot of us, most of us, I would say, who grow up in um, the developed world are socialized that some of our emotions are okay and some of them aren't. And um, the so-called negative ones aren't. And so we develop these to the extent that we were shamed or ignored or simply got the modeling that these emotions aren't okay. We shut them down in ourselves. They go into our shadow. We just unconsciously decide, oh, I am not an angry person. Mm. <laughs> our ego, our conscious identity becomes identified with, I am a happy person, not an angry person. But that anger is still in our shadow. And because it's in our shadow and it's unconscious, it controls our reality. So it actually, the energy that you put out is amplified mm. when something is in shadow. So um, I've had several, um, mostly middle-aged women clients they walk into my office and they are absolutely seething with anger and they have no idea that they are mm, mm. you know and i'm sure any practitioner has met clients like this right yeah but you'll just if you're even remotely intuitive or empathic like you see this this person usually a woman and she just seems like she's miserable and just angry and just like looking for a bone to pick she has no conscious idea identity as someone who has anger but it's controlling her energy feel like it's mm. so present mm. because it's in shadow because mm. it's so repressed and it's like we project energetically to the extent that we've repressed something so mm -hmm. yeah so that's one way that it that it impacts us energetically um so part of my intuitive gift and how i work with people is to see the emotional energetic blockages, the density in the body. Mm. So somebody who's had a lot of trauma in their history um, and their nervous system is chronically upregulated, for example, they may or may mm. not know this, um, but usually that's also course correlated with body tension. Mm. So somebody has a lot of body tension, they're also very armored emotionally, they have huge amounts of their emotional self in the shadow, so I can see that the blockages in their body as like areas of density or simply like observing that their shoulders are way <laughs> tense and that right. high um, or that their jaw is always locked or um, asking them to feel their body maybe they can't even feel their body you know mm -hmm. a lot of trauma survivors have difficulty um, with perception of the body because it's so shut down because mm -hmm. our emotions are in the body they're not in they're not in our heads so um, absolutely the shadow can be seen energetically, somatically, um, it's not just some abstract concept that's floating around in our heads. Right, it's, it's felt, it's, it's yes. visceral. It's visceral, and, um, I think that everyone, I think everyone, every single human being is intuitive, our intuition mm. is also a gift that mm. many of us put into our shadow because our parents mm. couldn't appreciate that about us, right? Mm -hmm. So shadow isn't just negative so-called. Shadow also um, includes all of our gifts that mm. were unseen, that were unacknowledged, all of our beautiful traits, 
that were not included in the definition of a good boy or a good girl growing up. Right. So shadow is, is both so-called positive and negative, although I'm not a big fan of delineating in that way, but mm-hmm. the shadow has a whole spectrum of, of things, of aspects about us that are part of our true self that were not seen, heard, and approved of when we were little, and mm-hmm. thus became, diside- we disidentified with those aspects. Kind of like if we were to be focused on facing the light, then whatever is in our shadow is that which we're not paying attention to. Right. So it's about, well, can I turn away from the light for a minute to see what is this um, aspect of me that is hidden, um, that uh, is created um, as a consequence of the light? Um, You know, like I'm thinking about like physical light and physical Mm -hmm. shadow and like... Um, how that reflection of uh, these deeper truths can help us to understand what's happening on this psychological, emotional, spiritual, energetic, physical dimension. Mm-hmm. I like to think of it like a flashlight. Mm. So it's like it's not that we're turning away from the light mm. to look at shadow, but rather we're pre- that the, that our conscious awareness is the light. Mm. And so when we choose to lean in, when we choose to see, to be present with, to acknowledge. A shadow aspect it's like bring a flashlight to it so mm. that we can see it so we become the light so some people call shadow work the highest form of light work because mm. you need the light to go into the darkness like you need the candle to go into the cave you need the illumination to see um, so it takes a lot of light mm. to go into into the shadows um, one of my favorite poets authors um, although he doesn't call himself this shadow workers, um, Robert Bly uh, describes the shadow as the long black bag we drag behind us. Mm. Mm. And he says that we spend the first half of our lives putting things into the shadow, the black bag, <laughs> like mm. putting aspects of us that were deemed inappropriate or mm. not good into the black bag. And then we spend the second half of our life trying to retrieve mm-hmm. those aspects out of the bag that we put in. Because what usually happens is that most people become aware around a kind of midlife crisis, although I see it happening much earlier for people these days, mm. but a kind of midlife crisis where you realize damn, like, I'm depressed, or I just have this sinking feeling that I've wasted my life, or that I'm not really who I'm meant to be, there's something more to life, and that's, that's the contents of that black bag calling out Mm. to you, that you are so much more, that who you are authentically includes things that you had to put away as a child, because they didn't correspond with who your parents thought you should be, you know. Mm. So this is the beauty and the magic of shadow work, is that when we choose to shine the light of awareness into that bag and see what we put away, um, we get our power back, we get our Mm. true wholeness back, that, for example, um, many people put their creativity in the black bag. Many mm. people put their authentic voice, their self-expression, their um, their sexual orientation potentially, mm. you know, mm-hmm. like um, their intuitive gifts, their psychic nature, their uh, so many beautiful things we put into shadow. Mm. And so reclaiming shadow aspects and integrating them is like becoming the wholeness of who you are. And, and also um, it allows people to feel like they finally belong. Mm. That's another beautiful reason to do shadow work, is that by becoming more of the wholeness of who you are and presenting your authentic self to the world, 
you allow yourself to attract people who are actually like you <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know who share your things you truly have about you that are authentic mm. whereas like I like to think that when we're when we're just going about the world um who we're we think we should be and putting so much of ourselves in shadow people tend to get depressed and feel extremely lonely and isolated and not know why because they're like I have everything I have a family I have a good job I have a nice car you know why am I unhappy right. but the reason is that they're not being themselves and thus it's almost like they're holding a puppet up to reality mm. and wondering why they they feel lonely. Mm. It's like they're holding a puppet up to reality and say the puppet says love me but it's not them. Mm. So they don't receive any of that love whereas when right. when we learn to integrate our shadow um, we are who we actually are. We are our authentic whole selves and thus mm. we're able to present our true selves to others and actually be loved for who we are <laughs> instead of mm. who this shadow or this puppet of who we think we should be which cannot receive any love mm. yeah so well said thank you yeah so is our shadow work ever done like do we ever finish you know healing retrieving things from this black bag we drag around does the black <laughs> bag go away the black bag gets so much lighter over time. Oh my mm, god! Mm. So I won't say that it goes away, but it gets so much lighter, and and you feel so much lighter mm. because it takes so much effort to drag that thing around. Mm-hmm. And you know, I see people who struggle with chronic fatigue and depression just have this sense of heaviness about them. Mm. And the more they accept who they are and really get real about the conditions of their childhood and and what they had to put away about themselves mm-hmm. into that black bag and and start to say like, hey, yeah, what if I were an artist, actually? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> part of them knows deep down that they are. <laughs> so it feels yeah. lighter. Like, so when we integrate these aspects of us, we end up feeling much lighter and have more energy and just joy. So I would say that um, it's never quite done but it just gets so much lighter. And in, mm. and shadow work, I also think of as more of a perspective on life and the world mm. than like a body of work that you have to get done before mm. you can go on to like your actual life. It's you an know? orientation. Yeah, it's like an orientation of um, really of intimacy with yourself. Mm. Of intimacy mm. with yourself and a kind of fearlessness about yourself. Like, I wonder what those what this says about me and what I can discover about myself. I wonder what this says about, um, like, I wonder what this judgment of another person actually says about me. And, or I wonder what this, um, circumstance that I've encountered in the world says about what I might need to learn or, or, you know, it's just, it's this constant state of curiosity and this orientation of intimacy with yourself that you're always coming back to you. Like, how am I learning from this about myself, about the wholeness of who I can be and am? Mm. Um, And so it's just a beautiful way of seeing the world as a mirror of you and your Mm. own development and integration and journey and Mm. not not to be solipsistic about it or narcissistic, but it's just um, you actually are so much more able 
to be present and non-judgmental for other people mm-hmm. when you hold this perspective because it's a full responsibility, full integrity, and full ownership of you and yourself and your own life, your own emotions. Um, yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of um, the big S self, right? Of yes. this all that is, source, God, whatnot, and how we are all reflections of that and um, how every you know drop contains the whole so that we are also that that wholeness of this infinite all that is of this source um, and so that it makes perfect sense that thusly our journey is to know and see all parts of ourself from our experience as this individual self um, just as this whole big ass self of source is here present in all of us trying to experience all of itself Mm-hmm. And so that this is the spiritual journey. This is this experience of um, being alive for us to know ourselves. Absolutely. So being selfish is really being um, true to our nature within this kind of framework. Yeah, like self-responsible, self-owning, self-oriented. Right, right. <clears throat> I was just having a conversation um, earlier today with a, with a client who mentioned that she takes on the energy of other people. She's highly, Mm. highly empathic. She's Mm. in her mid-20s and very, um, very, very bright, very intelligent. She struggles with taking on this energy from others and their emotions and their pain. And and she's in a a helping profession. And um, we talked about how actually... We have this, especially when we're socialized as women, we have this idea that the best way to help someone, to be present with them, the most compassionate thing to do would be to join them in their pain, Mm -hmm. right? Like, to empathically, like, be there with them Mm -hmm. in what they're feeling, to feel what they're feeling. Whereas, actually, what we're doing um, when we do that is kind of like when we want to go to pick something up, <clears throat> but we have bad posture. <laughs> like mm. we're leaning toward the thing, we're bending mm. over. We don't actually have the leverage to help that person from that position. We're getting drawn in. The best way for us to be to have our maximum capacity and ability to be compassionate for someone to help them is if we stay in our own centeredness. Um, and in in a way, like to follow the analogy, <clears throat> it'd be like doing a squat correctly, right, and, like, mm-hmm. lifting the thing with good posture, with your legs, just having a straight, aligned spine, and you can help someone so much better when you're aligned in yourself. Mm. So, actually, we're so much more effective. We have so much more capacity for energy and compassion when we help other people from a space that I'm here in my own center rather than I'm joining mm. you in your pain. Mm. <clears throat> and that truly being able to be in our own center would um, depend uh, to some degree at least on how willing we are to be aware of our shadows. Um, totally. And what it is that we have consciously or unconsciously earlier on in life or currently now decided like this isn't okay. I can't have this part. This part isn't going to help me be loved or accepted or safe or um, belong within the world and if we can do that work of looking in this black bag being aware of what we have rejected within ourselves 
um, we'll find ourselves more grounded, more centered, and more able then to stay within ourselves so that we can be there more for others in a way that is supportive of them, but also not draining of us um, or unsupportive of our own selves. Totally. Like when I when I was working with this client, um, part of me was watching how I was in a very low grade kind of way being triggered by her because mm. of my own experience of enmeshment with a parent mm. and thus development of empathy of being an empath later in life. Um, and the fact that I was totally willing to acknowledge that, like, yes, I'm, there's part of me that's triggered right now mm. and I'm going to be here. I'm still here. Mm-hmm. It, it, that means that I didn't act out of that trigger mm. because I was able to just watch it and accept it as part of me. Um, it didn't have to discharge out as an act that might have hurt that client relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, when we can have and consciousness with all things that arise, number one, the awareness, the self-awareness to know what is arising in our psyches, and number two, to have the ability to say yes and instead of but. Mm. <laughs> like, yes, I'm so present, I'm so excited to encounter this client, and part of me is getting triggered, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Versus like, oh, I'm so excited to work with this client, but she triggers me. <laughs> that takes me right. that takes me actually out of presence with her because um, I'm more bothered and annoyed by the fact that I'm triggered when we accept something as part of our psyche then perhaps paradoxically like we can be even more present mm. with whatever we're encountering mm. so that, that makes me wonder because something that um, I run into with sometimes with clients with people I know you know in this kind of polarized sphere of politics that we live in now um, and we have this part that's like the Trump kind of unaware um, just continuing forth with shadow paradigm without recognizing like things like um, the capitalism and white supremacy and patriarchy and all of that not recognizing that these are issues Um, And then people who are on that more um, awakened, we might say, path, who are aware that these are issues. And so many of uh, the people who are aware that there's the issues with white supremacy and all that have family who aren't aware. And they're getting triggered by these people all the time. Like, what do I do? Like, how how can I, like, you know, help this person often is a question? Or, like, how can I, like not feel so triggered um this kind of dynamic um is happening a lot for people um in this country what would you say to them like what kind of work can they do to at least help themselves with this situation you mean like activists how they can help themselves sure this yeah it could be an activist or even just people who you know yeah feel strongly um about a need for um, a shifting of the culture mm-hmm. um, when we come face to face with those who have opposing views um, and we are experiencing our triggeredness um, what do we do yeah that's such a good question so one aspect that's really important to keep in mind is that whenever we want something to be different than how it actually is in the moment mm-hmm. we're resisting mm-hmm. we're in a state of resistance our energy is in a state of resistance and I, as Jung says, what we resist persists. Right. So that's a stalemate. So a lot of what I see, um, you know, within myself, within my friend groups, within, you know, the internet and the larger culture is that 
we're at this lockdown stalemate or Congress or you know, whatever it is right. because everyone is in this state of resistance. Mm. And um, we're so, we believe just because we've been socialized like this and brought up this way that the only way to change something is to resist. Mm-hmm. Protest, gonna, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, that works sometimes. <laughs> but really, it, it doesn't actually work from an energetic perspective. Right. Because even if something seems to shift, it's going to bounce back if it right. shifted out of a state of resistance and stalemate. I think like a perfect example of that is that we have these like violent revolutions and we knock down a dictator and then soon enough sooner or later it's another dictator that comes out of that once upon a time resistance yes so um something that i that i like to kind of work with when i work with activists or people who feel really triggered really strongly totally understandably by the status quo is um to work with how like those exact feelings that are arising like I'll have them like imagine Trump or imagine like whoever really triggers them and allow themselves to feel all of what's coming up Mm. all of what's coming up you know all of the anger all of the judgment all of everything inevitably those feelings need to be released from that person's own personal past Mm -hmm. inevitably all of the anger all of the raw you know all of the vehement Mm. rage you need to change you know uh, whatever this person is feeling toward trump whoever it is comes from their own past Mm -hmm. and has just been waiting to be expressed right and so when we, I actually haven't done that particular thing with with um, with anyone, but I have worked with activists, and um, there's a softening that happens internally mm. simply when that person recognizes recognizes shit. That was my dad, mm. or shit. That was how my older brother treated me. Like, mm-hmm. and I felt like this or something. Inevitably, there's this, there's a softening, and that state of internal resistance evaporates. Mm. And that person can find that they're actually a lot more effective at their work and actually mm-hmm. doing change in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, when we can find and accept the origin of these feelings, the vehement rage, whatever it is, as activists or as people against the status quo, when we can find how that roots into our own past, and it inevitably does if mm-hmm. somebody is triggered by it. it that's the only reason somebody is triggered by anything, you know. Because mm. uh, it's one thing just to rationally say, this isn't okay for this and this and this reason. It's another thing entirely to be triggered by something. Right. If something is triggered, it means it's part of your, honestly, it's part of your childhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, before age eight, probably. Um, that is asking for your integration, is asking to come mm. out. In other words, it's a shadow aspect asking to come out. Um, so... Yeah, inevitably someone can actually be more effective in what they do Mm. when they get out of that stalemate state. And so do you think then that there is, in terms of how can we create this shift into a world that isn't full of as much hate and fear, um, which is something that, you know, these activists that we're kind of speaking about would be looking for, right? Mm -hmm. Um, 
that there's this lean-in quality that mm-hmm. really needs to happen, not only then for ourselves, but for that person who we feel is the oppressor. Yes, and a really good example of this in action um, <clears throat> was um, nonviolent communication being used between Israel and Palestine. Mm. Um, this was maybe in the 70s or 80s, you know, when um, his name is Marshall Rosenberg, who wrote Nonviolent Communication. Mm. Um, when this technique started to be used diplomatically, and it was very effective, because what nonviolent communication is, is a technique that is, has four stages. It's an observation, so I see this when, when this happens, or um, and then it's... Uh, so it's when I see this or when this happens and then it's a feeling I feel blah because then I need so then it's a need because I need blah and then it's a request for change would you be willing to blah Mm -hmm. so it goes directly into the feelings and the needs and thus diffuses that state of resistance Mm. on the surface so a strategy like that, a communication strategy, can be really effective because it gets directly, it leans into directly what the feelings are and the needs that are actually underlying what's at play mm-hmm. behind the blind uh, reaction and diffuse the um, discharge. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So this this quality of lean in, it's it's really about that. That's what I'm hearing from you, Catherine. Kind of any way we cut it, we kind of lean in. We gotta lean in. Yeah. So what then about, um, you know, like I kind of started the show with talking a little bit about um, this polarization within spiritual communities of focusing on love and light um, and a need to also acknowledge the shadow. Um, you know, maybe this is me having my own kind of area where I need to look at how I can lean in to uh, people who are experiencing this kind of polarization or experiencing that within myself. Um, But what do you think about that? Um, People who are so focused on love and light, how does that um, make sense to you within your orientation towards shadow work? So somebody is focused on love and light. I mean, I love love and light. (laughs) Yeah, they're nice things. They're beautiful. They're beautiful things. For sure. And you also can't have light without darkness, and you also can't have Mm -hmm. love without fear. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we live in a... um, So I would say if you... For somebody who focuses on love and light like, to the exclusion of their necessary opposites, I would say that they are delusional (laughs) Um, because on this in this dimension the third dimension where we are right now like or fifth dimension transforming however you think about Mm -hmm. it but we still live in a world that's defined by contrast Mm -hmm. like we still live in a world where you can't know love without fear like they they exist together yeah that duality is a foundation duality is a foundation and um Whenever we resist one half of the duality, we actually give power to the other half. Mm -hmm. So this is why you see so many spiritual teachers whose personal lives are in shambles. Mm. Because they're, on the surface, they're saying love and light, but they're actually deeply in resistance to the parts of themselves they would call dark, Mm -hmm. right? That, That are then 
given all the more power because they're unconscious and they're in shadow. Mm. Um, I think Carl Jung has a famous quote, and it says something like, um, what we fail to make conscious comes to us as fate. Mm. So in other words, what stays in shadow, we encounter in illnesses, we encounter in Mm. accidents and weird circumstances and, you know, self-sabotage, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Because the universe, from a Jungian perspective of individuation, like the universe is conspiring for our wholeness. You know, like we are here to be whole human beings. And so, Mm. of course, our shadow aspects are going to be integrated one way or the other. And they can either be integrated (laughs) through, you know, shadow work, or they can be integrated through having a crisis, hmm. you know, and, and actually there's no better or worse there, but it is, I think, more pleasant to do shadow <laughs> work than to just allow um, this, the circumstances to come upon you in order right. to bring you to that place of encountering your own, your own shadow. So I think there's a shocking number of spiritual teachers who, for, mm. for example, like can't seem to have a, a, a relationship Mm. that's that's fruitful or um can't seem to lose all their money once they make it it's like when you stop putting spiritual teachers on pedestals and you really look at their personal lives a lot of them are quite surprisingly perhaps um not good at life Mm. (laughs) which is a curious position to come from yes to be teaching spirituality it is, yeah, and I think that you see that most often with teachers who are teaching that kind of focus on love and light to the exclusion right. of mm. the other aspects of themselves. Right, and so this is very much a holistic, grounded orientation for life um, that I also hear you saying can really help us to experience even more love. And light absolutely because we're retrieving these parts of us that are truly beautiful that we you know for whatever reason we're told made to believe um are not allowed not accepted not going to be a good part of us are not a good part of us and that even the parts of us that might be things that we fear um or that we don't like that we might also put into that black bag that going and retrieving these and looking at these accepting these creates more of a wholeness that helps us to amplify more of our own light absolutely and i i think of um the most central human need as connection Mm, you mm -hmm. might call it love but um and this is the greatest gift of doing shadow work is Mm. the experience of greater connection with yourself and thus with other people Mm. um because we can't like i said before we can't actually connect when we're not our authentic selves (laughs) when we're not willing to be vulnerable we're not like willing to actually show up as ourselves like the work of Brene brown is awesome Mm. for this Mm -hmm. right like the power of vulnerability and the gift of imperfection and and just that's authentic like authenticity isn't this thing that we get someday like authenticity <laughs> is a choice that we make in every single moment to show mm. up as the fullness of who we are even though that might be inconvenient or uncomfortable mm, that is a sound by right there <laughs> i really love the way you just define that thank you because yeah. we think about authenticity as this kind of like instagram worthy mm-hmm. state that somebody may or may not achieve but mm. it really is a moment-to-moment decision um, like, am I going to smile when I tell somebody about, um, 
how I'm grieving right now? Or, like, mm. am I going to say, oh, haha, it's not a big deal. Like, other people have it much worse. Mm-hmm. Or am I going to just sit with that and say, you know what? If I'm honest, I'm really hurting right now. Right. And it hasn't been easy. That's an example of how to choose to be authentic in that moment. And thus, like Brene Brown teaches, thus we find connection with other people in that space of vulnerability. That's the only way that human beings truly connect to each other is through being vulnerable. And um, so when we extend this into the realm of doing shadow work, mm-hmm. um, and that's like this decision to, to really get real with yourself mm-hmm. in big ways, and then you'll just find that you, it's easier and easier for you to make those decisions moment to moment to be vulnerable because you just discover who you are more and more. You get more comfortable with who you are and you have your back more and more. So one of the things that my clients always like say, if they're giving me a testimonial, they say something like, I feel like I can support myself from the inside out now. Mm. Like I feel like I have my own back. I feel like I can advocate for myself. Yeah. Whereas before they couldn't, you know, they kind of mm. went from place to place, kind of thinking, who should I be in this moment? Or what do these other people need me to be in this moment? Mm. Instead of being self-directed, mm. like, no, like, I'm going to be who I am. I have my own back. And that's, thus, I feel safe or safe enough <laughs> being who mm. I am in this moment. Um, so connection and intimacy is... Um, the greatest gift I would say of shadow work and intimacy. I love the definition of intimacy as into me see. Mm. You're inviting somebody to actually see you for who you are and you're mm. seeing them for who they are. Mm. And that really starts with can we be authentic with ourselves? Yes. Can I be intimate with myself? Can I see into me so that then I can allow others to see into me as well? Yeah, and that's the shadow work. Mm. So beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the show and and sharing your perspective. Um, You know, I I just know that um, you're doing such powerful work with all the clients that you work with, whether that be doing the Reiki, the astrology, you're a very intuitive person and channel, all the shadow work that you do in the world. And, um, you know, one way that I'll share with our our listeners that um, I have gotten to know you more is through doing your shadow work practitioner training program. Um, Super grateful to be learning um, your shadow work method. Um, experiencing them myself, starting to do them with clients. Like, this is really powerful, needed work. Um, and yeah, it's it's all about this this leaning in and this fully embracing who we are so that we can be who we are in this world. And um, it's definitely my perspective, and I think you would agree with me about this, that that's the change in the world. The more that we love and accept all of us, um, as an individual that we can accept and love everyone and that is a shift in the world for sure absolutely absolutely yeah and so if uh, people want to connect with you further they can find you on your website would that be the best place mm-hmm. to find you yeah katherineliggett.com katherine with a c and an l-i-g-g-e-t-t so my website has tons of resources. I mm-hmm. have a YouTube channel that I post videos to every month on different topics relating to shadow work and personal growth and um, stuff like that. Um, and then I have a monthly meetup. Yeah, the Intuitive Jam. Intuitive Jam. And we usually meet um, in, at the Finney Ridge Community Center on either the second or third Thursday evening of every month. 
from 7 to 9 p.m. And you can find us on meetup.com or through my website under events. Um, and because all of us pretty much put our intuitive gifts into shadow, mm-hmm. it's a wonderful place to meet people who are like-minded about leaning in, about trusting themselves, about being seen for who they really are, which is a intuitive being, <laughs> like mm-hmm. all humans are. Um, we get together and do um, very short introductions, a guided meditation together, and then we split off into small groups, and anyone can ask a question, anyone can give an answer that they're intuitively guided to give, and it's mm-hmm. very heart-centered and supportive and wonderful. So if you're looking to mm-hmm. practice um, parts of yourself that may have been in shadow, it's a wonderful place to go and to meet like-minded people. Perfect. Yeah, so if you're in the Seattle area, make sure you check out Catherine's Intuitive Jam. Um, if you're curious about working with her or taking her um, shadow work practitioner certification, learning more from her blogs, her vulnerable, heartfelt blog, or her videos, check out her website. Catherine, thank you so much for the work that you do, um, for being the channel and guide and teacher and healer that you are, and for sharing that with us today on the show. Thank you so much, Alicia. I've loved being here. Yeah, awesome. And to all of you listeners out there, thank you once again for tuning in. Thank you for all the work that you do. I encourage you to continue to be open to yourself and to your journey and to all of the aspects of who you are, you know, seeking out help and guidance from others when you need, but know that you are the one who heals yourself, that you are the one who does this work and that you have the medicine that you need, your own love your own awareness and attention and heartfelt compassion. Thank you for showing up in the world like you do. Thanks for tuning in and know that in all ways and all things, I believe in you and we got this. Till next time. Love you. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today for your cultural revolution tune up. For more cultural magic, connect with us on the socials. You can find us on Instagram at cultural magic, that's with a K, and at the Alicia Sunflower, or on Facebook on our page Sunflower. If you'd like to book a soul purpose coaching session or a healing session with Alicia Sunflower or get a personal reading from Alicia, please visit www.aliciagleason.com. So many beautiful ways for us to connect and we look forward to seeing you again here at Cultural Magic. Until then, blessings and love to you. Carry on, fam. Carry on. It's time to look inside. Face and balance all your shadow and light. Release your prejudice and pride. to create the change be who you are your own unique star and respect your kin so we can have peace again right about now we need some heroes right about now we need something magical and tell me about a the dying what this world needs now is uniting what the
this world needs now is you now.